Go Tenant, the revolutionary new property software built by landlords and trusted by tenants. Go Tenant is your one-stop property management assistant that will take the pain away from your tenant recruitment process and the management of your properties. From advertising your property to maintenance reporting, electronic signatures to full property management software. Stop worrying about double bookings and the hassle of unnecessary admin because Go Tenants is here to enable you to seamlessly run your portfolio from anywhere in the world. Go to gotenants.co.uk to find out more. Welcome back to Cup of Tea with Rick G. We've got two great guests on today. But before we start, um, I hope you've had a great weekend. I've had an absolutely terrible weekend. <laughs> I posted in Facebook um, yesterday that we've had some awful issues this weekend. Um, we have got a 12-bedroom HMO, and it's in a converted pub. And underneath it, there is a coffee shop. And we had a report on Friday night that we had a leak coming through the ceiling. So we went out to investigate it and it transpires it wasn't coming through the ceiling. It was seeping up through the, the drain below. So it's coming up through the floor. Um, it's not my coffee shop, not my building, but because I've got 12 tenants upstairs, we had to switch the water off because it was their waste that was going into the same trap. And it's taken all weekend to fix it. It's been massively expensive. I've had to pay the bill. I will be claiming it back from the owner of the property downstairs. But anyway, that's been my weekend. Um, you know, sometimes this happens. And if you're a landlord, you've got responsibilities. You've got to step up to the plate. So that's me waffling. So we've got two great guests with us this morning. We've got Ian and Lindsay McBain. Good morning, both. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Rick. And you guys are in South End on Sea, and I know that you've both got a great story to tell. And, um, you know, this is what we do on the show. We bring normal people in that have had normal jobs or still do have normal jobs, but want to change their lives for the better. I want to get out there and get into the property arena and do, you know, some really great things. So I don't quite know how to do this because I'm going to ask you both. I'll try and ask you an individual question. I don't know. So, um, Lindsay, let's start with you because you're on the left hand side of my screen anyway. So can you just tell us? Tell all the, the listeners a little bit about you. I know that you had a job in the corporate world and you were traveling a lot. You were working a lot of hours and it was just taking its toll a little bit on you and perhaps a little bit maybe on, you know, your mental health. Um, and, you know, you were sort of spending less and less time with your family. Is that right? Yeah, Rick, good morning and thanks for the introduction. I have spent 10 years um, working for a corporate company. Um, and 18 months ago, I quit that job. Um, for the last three years of that job, I was commuting into London. Um, my day consisted of doing a 70-mile round commute, um, and it was anything between um, an hour to two hours to get to and from work. So it was obviously additional time onto an already busy um, working week. Then there was just added pressures and stresses with that job. I'd done an extra amount of travelling as well. And um, as you quite rightly said, um, it started to impact on my own personal health. Um, and I basically just couldn't cope with the, the, the demands of work. Um, I was very fortunate in the sense that my dad has been investing in property um, for 30 years. He was a kind of accidental landlord, a bit like yourself. Um, and obviously Ian has, um, has, has been working alongside Dad over the years as well. So with both their knowledge and experience, um, they obviously said, look, something's got to change. We'd be quite willing to, to have you on board because your skills are transferable from what you've been doing within customer service for the last 10 years. So, yeah, I took the leap of faith um, 18 months ago. And wow, it's been an absolute game changer. And it's probably the happiest um, that I've ever been in life. That's excellent to hear. What did you actually do, Lindsay, in the corporate world? You said you're in customer service. What did that involve? So I basically worked for a chain of funeral directors um, and I managed staff there. So I managed um, 100 staff. So it was um, it was very demanding, um, but I had obviously my background in, in sort of management and customer service. I was able to to transfer that over to to our property business, 
Um, and was it something that you decided when, when you had the offer and you spoke to your dad? Uh, was it something you decided straight away? Was it a no-brainer? Did it take your time to say, you know, well, I need to do a little bit of financial planning. I need to sort of work out what's best. Or is it, yeah, feet in, let's just do it. Yeah, there was a there was a bit of kind of financial planning because obviously you've got the cushion of a salary, um, and then you're taking that leap. So you've you've got to obviously replace your salary, make it work. Um, so there was a little bit of planning, maybe a couple of months, but ultimately my health was important, yeah. um, and I had the, the sort of um, support from my family and, and my parents. Um, and I just took the leap of faith and jumped straight in, two feet first, straight into a to a refurbishment. Um, which How I- do you find it, Lindsay, working with your family? Because um, I work with, actually, I'm going to bring Lorraine onto the show probably next week. And we're going to do a bit of a session on how it is working together as a couple, because I think that's quite interesting. Now, I work with Lorraine, my wife. My father-in-law is very heavily involved in my business as well. He works for us. Um, and I know the dynamic sometimes, you know, you have to have that line. How did you find that to begin with? And I know Ian sat next to you as well, so I, he's, he can, like, give you a prod. Um, <laughs> and how do you find it now? And be honest, you know, because I know a lot of people out there would like to go into business with relations. Is it easy? It is. I would say it is. Um, we've got a great relationship. We're a, a close-knit family anyway. Um, and us Scots are um, well-known for being direct. So we, 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 we sometimes say it, most of the time we say it as it is. So if there is an issue, um, we, we, would, we would say it as it is. But it's been great in the sense that we've, we've all got different backgrounds. Um, so we all work very differently. Um, we do make a great team because we do bring um, different skills and quality to the business. Um, but it's the trust factor. Um, we trust each other. And we can rely on each other um, to, to get things done. So that, that's been amazing. Um, the only sort of maybe downside in, in our family would agree um, is that in the early days, we couldn't switch off. So it was all about business and this was going on and that was going on. Yeah. Um, and and our, our family members um, started to say, look, it's, it's family time. So we've, we've had to adapt to that. Oh. You know, that leaves, I was going to ask you, that was my next question is, don't you find that when you go out and socialise, all you talk about is work? Uh, and But you've just answered that question. Do you now have to say, right, let's get the work out of the way. This is what we do. So we go out, we have a family lunch or a family dinner, and we say, right, let's get work out of the way, 10 minutes, and then we just shut off from that and we talk about other stuff. Because it is really boring for the people that are around the table that aren't involved in the business. Yes, you're absolutely right. We are just hugely passionate about what we do. Um, and we, we just love sharing our story, basically. But yeah, yeah we, do. We, we, we get, like yourselves, um, business out the way and then um, into family time. Yeah. So it's important. Yeah, it is important. And I know that, you know, family dynamics are the most important thing. And I think when you're in business with your relations, you do have to have that line to a degree because... I know that um, I've got members of family that have been in business with each other before and it's gone wrong and it's gone monumentally wrong. And now they just don't talk to each other. Um, and, you know, we said right from the beginning that if there's an issue, if there's a problem, we get it out of the way, you know, because there's nothing worse than bottling something up. And this goes to show, you know, with any partnership, really, and I suppose with any personal relationship, that if you've got something that you need to get out, You've got to get it out. And you said, Lindsay, you know, you, and your words, not mine, you Scots are um, very blunt and straight talking. And I think you need to have that in any kind of business relationship anyway, wouldn't you say? Yes. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have specific roles in your business? So, Lindsay, you came from the corporate world. Um, you've been now in the property business for about 18 months, I think. And, um, you know, is it a case of, right, we'll just make make a role for you? Or have you got a particular element of the business that you control yourself? So, as I said, obviously, about my skills being transferable. And I, I basically said to my dad and Ian, this is what I can bring. Yeah. Um, so, because of my customer service background, I'm good at dealing with people. I'm good at talking to people. So, yeah. I look after our tenants. Okay. Um, and the sort of, I'm quite creative. 
So the interior design, I've actually been on a, a, a sort of short course just to expand my skills. Um, and I look after the sort of interior design and the, the refurbishment, um, sort of glamorous part of it, shall we say. So I get the, I get the nice jobs. So you, get, you look after the tenants and you look after the interior design? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the tenant side of things then. So you're investing in South End on Sea. Is it only in South End on Sea, or have you got areas out outside? It's only South End on Sea and the sort of surrounding area, so South End and West Cliff area. Okay, and your portfolio is quite diverse. I know you've got lots of different elements. So you've got service accommodation, yeah, what HMOs, and I know that you're and uh, yourself and Ian will come on to Ian in a sec. I'm not leaving you out, Ian. I hope you're all right there. <laughs> 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 to develop and grow your HMO portfolio. So whilst the, you know, uh, let's talk about HMOs. Um, how is the market at the moment? How are you finding it? That's question one. And then question two is how are you sourcing your tenants? Um, the market here at the moment is quite slow. Um, we're just about to bring an HMO live within the next two or three weeks and obviously December and January, sometimes into February, is not a great time um, to bring a property live, just the, obviously the time of year. Yeah. Um, but you can't help that, can you? You've got to go live with it. You can't, you know, it's just the way. I mean, sometimes that's just what happens. If you find a great deal, you can't say, well, I'm not going to do it because it's November. You know, you've, you've got to do it, haven't you? One thing that we do is, is obviously we ask our tenants what it is that we what what it is that they want within a property. So we, we give well, tenants what, what what it is that they want. So where we advertise our rooms, we like to go above and beyond so that our rooms stand out from our competition. How do you do that? So. Um, obviously staging them is a big thing so um professional photographs so one thing um on i'm allowed to mention where i advertise the rooms yeah of course okay so on spare room um so just to give you an example one of the sort of kind of cardinal sins for photographs you maybe agree with this is an undressed bed um so i dress all the beds um and um, we create a lifestyle so that people can see what it is that they're, they're going to be living in. Yeah, and it's important we do that, isn't it? And we say that a lot, is that, you know, what we're doing here is we're selling a lifestyle. We're not just selling a room. You know, we're advertising the property to be better than everybody else's and how it can enhance their life, how it can make their life better, rather than just saying, hey, you know what, this is a room. But I know that sometimes... It, sometimes when you get busy and you know we've got a very large portfolio um we can fall foul of not dressing rooms sometimes now we will dress them for the photographs but when it comes around to showing tenants empty rooms i mean and you know the lettings manager we've got k our lettings manager will get there and she'll be like oh the room isn't dressed because we forgot and i do know that it's really important and you know if you dress a room our stats are you know 30% more chance to sell that room if it's dressed not just on the photos but also on uh, when people go around and look at it as well so it is really important and you know again very often this happens a lot in this group people will say i'm struggling to sell rooms and then i just say can you send me a link to your advert and they send me the link and it's just like going back to the 1970s and people to move on with the time so Lindsay before we move on to Ian um are you what sort of standard you say you you know you, you do the interior design and what have you what sort of standards are you doing your rooms to so you know we've got what we say the low end the middle end and the high end whereabouts do you think your portfolio for your HMOs would fit into that scale yeah, high end for us for sure um one thing I I do like your colour scheme in the background, your blue wall. That's one. Yeah, I can give you the code for that. Actually, it's um, it, it's I don't know what I don't know what the code is, but yeah, it is a nice colour. It's good and useful colour. Yeah, but that that's that's one thing that, that we do is um, kind of not outrageous, but but bold colour schemes, um, sort of yellows, greens, blues, and something that maybe people wouldn't necessarily put into their own homes. Right. Yeah, just something different that stands out. Exactly. So, yeah, high-end. So minimum standard for us is we um, 
obviously provide the bed, we provide all the furniture and yep. provide an ensuite. Um, and one um, thing that we like to do and what our tenants like is the um, the metro tiles, so the white brick metro tiles. So instead of putting them on in brick effect, we put them on in parquet style and they <laughs> light grey grout. And um, the amount of feedback that we've had um, from that sort of style, it's just a little bit unique. Right. Um, people like that. Um, and we don't... We don't um, Obviously, we've got a budget. Sometimes we go over that budget because we like to provide the best for people. And it's quite rightly what you said about creating a lifestyle for people. These people could be here for a long period of time. So it's important that they they know where they're going to live and it's a nice place to live. We want them to, to be at home in our property. And you want them to stay as well. You know, it's just one thing getting the tenant. And the next thing is, you know, we don't want that churn rate to be any more than it needs to be. And it's getting them to stay. But, you know, as you grow and you get bigger, it's not always possible to please everybody. And, you know, um, it isn't because everybody wants different things. And it's so hard sometimes to please people. It really, really is. We had a tenant that moved in about ooh, only two months ago. Before she moved in, we went and I got involved with this. We went back. We stripped the room back because we'd had it quite a long time. We completely refurbished the room. Um, we put brand new beds. We put, you know, it was gorgeous. And it's an ensuite room. Um, and then two months after, she just dropped a bombshell and said, oh, by the way, I've got a dog and a cat and I want to bring them over from Spain. They were currently in quarantine or whatever, I don't know what quarantine or whatever it was, but that she couldn't bring it over. So I'm like, so, you know, that's tenants just drop things on you all of the time. It, it happens and it's really, really frustrating. Um, so moving on from there, then, so en-suites. You spoke about en-suites, Lindsay. Now, a lot of people are, you know, getting hit by single banding and council tax and stuff. Is that is that something that you've experienced? Not, not in this area. So they're not doing that at the moment in South End, honestly? Yeah, not at the moment. Have you got any future, like, proofing or future planning in case they did bring that in? What would you do? Um, Charge a tenant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you can do, isn't it? You know, because um, what we say is when you're going to invest in property, you know, look at the whole holistic view and concentrate on the stuff that you can control. And if you can't control it, well, you can't control it. We've got a very varied portfolio like yourselves, and some of our rooms are singly banded. Some of them aren't. Um, you know what? That's what. That's just the way it is. So we charge the ones that are singly banded back to the tenants, and there are no issues. It's, you know, it doesn't cause us any problems at all. So Lindsay, what's the future then for you guys? Um, you know, are you? Is this something that you are in for the long haul now, um, as a family unit, as a family business, or do you think you might break off at some point and do it for yourself? Oh, there's a question. You sat next to Ian. <laughs> Um, at, at the moment, I mean, I've, I've got a great lifestyle in the sense that um, I, I can I can pretty much go away when, when I want. And property has given me the flexibility. My, my, my partner, he still lives in Scotland. He works um, and lives in Scotland. So we see each other every other month. Um, and it's gave me the flexibility to, to travel and see him. Um, so it works great at the moment. And we, we want to add more um properties into the into the portfolio. My feet are really Have you thought about going over to Scotland? I don't know what the market is like over in Scotland, but is it something you consider? Maybe for the interior design um aspect, but certainly for investing um South End on Sea is, is a is a great area. We're an hour away from London. Um, it's a great town. There's lots of opportunity here, and there's high demand for for the properties that, that we do. Um, and the other the good thing is, is um, they do a nice ice cream, and they've had the best suntan. However, it is fading yeah. in December. You get much of a suntan in Scotland. Hey, is the HMO market in Scotland? Is there something that does it work over there? Um. It's not something that I've looked into massively. Um, I've done a little bit of research and there's not huge demand for, for HMOs and I, and I don't really know. Um, yeah, yeah. Sticking, sticking to the devil that you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Lindsay, thank you so much. Um, so, um, move over to Ian. Uh, Ian's been quite quiet. I sat there nodding and drinking his brew. So good morning, Ian. Good morning, everyone. 
So back to, you know, we'll, we'll do the same sort of format with you, Ian. So you, your background was slightly different. So you are an ex-fireman, is that right? Yes, indeed, yeah. So talk to us about that, Ian. So, you know, how long were you in the fire service for? Um, and talk to us about, you know, what was the pinnacle moment for you that made you say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore? Um, I was in, served nine years in Essex as a full-time fireman. Um, and in 2011, um, I got a letter in from the chief saying that we had to work longer, uh, you know, year and years. We had to pay in more uh, into our pensions and we were going to get less back. And obviously for anything more demoralising reading that, after I thought, well, I wanted, always wanted to be a fireman and I just thought I couldn't afford to retire, you know, with what they were offering to pay, you know, when, when I had to work longer. So I had to work an extra 10 years, pay in more um, and get less back. So I just thought, well, if I can't afford to retire now, um, you know, I'm not working another 20 years. And, and I'd been in a pay freeze as well because it was public sector. Um, so I'd been in a pay freeze for five years. And yeah, was, I know what you mean. I feel your pain. Yes, I never had um, I never had kids at the time. And my wife said, I said to my wife, look, I, I really think I should get out of this. The writing was on the wall. Obviously, they were making loads of cutbacks <clears throat> due to austerity. And obviously, um, if you joined in a certain date, um, half the establishment, they were ring-fenced onto the old-style pension, and I was forced to go into the new-style pension. So that was in 2011. Um, I pinned up a resignation letter in my fridge door uh, and I said in 2012, in 12 months, I'll be gone. And I've done it in 11 months, so I left. It was quite a big leap of faith, to be fair. Yeah, I know what you mean. Obviously, you know my story. Um, did you, I mean, you know, similar question to Lindsay on that, though. Did you take a career break, Ian, or did you just put your cards in and said, you know what, I'm going? Well, actually, happened was dad was into property, as Lindsay had alluded to. Um, I couldn't actually afford to live on my fireman's salary, would you believe, in Essex. So I had a removals and storage um, business, um, which I'd done. They call it a fiddle job. So basically, in Essex, if you're doing your day job and you do this job on the side to make ends meet, so that's what I was doing. And what I thought was, if I build that up enough to give myself an income, but one real catalyst that kind of stuck in my mind at the time was, I used to love Dragon's Den, and I was watching Dragon's Den, and that Deborah Meaden, one of the dragons, there was a fireman from Kent on there, he designed these training shoes, and basically the, the, the dragons wanted to back him, and they said, look, when are you going to leave your job and commit to this full time? And he said, I'm never going to leave. It's easy money. Um, you know, it's guaranteed income and I'll just run this, um, you know, business on the side. And all of the dragons backed out and said, look, we, we wouldn't invest in you because you're not committed. So once you commit to something and focus on the one thing, and I thought that really resonated with me. And I thought, well, you can't be master jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. I'm either a fireman a business owner or a property investor. So basically, I just decided that I would leave. And uh, that was 11 months. It took, and obviously, the first year, um, you'll probably re recognise this, Rick, as well, that you become institutionalised. Oh, and the patterns and everything that I was doing and where my locker was and uh, how all my clothes were laid out, where my uniform was. And when I left for the first 12 months, I really found that was the most difficult transition to me. I think, you know, when I used to turn up for work, so um, I was an acting sergeant, well, temporary sergeant, um, pending a board interview. And I was a temporary sergeant for about four years. I mean, this, you know, going back to, I've not been out of the police that long, but when we, the, the whole um, interview process in the police is very, very old fashioned. So long story short, I remember going into work on a set of nights, and I don't know whether you've experienced this, walking into the locker room, getting the smell of leather because all of our kit was leather. And my heart used to just sink. And I yeah. used to think, you know, what are we going to end up doing this evening? You know, is it, and is it going to be me? Uh, I think it's very different in the fire service because you're a crew, you've got to be together on the, on, on the, um, the tender. But with the police officers, obviously you've got one unit that makes an arrest and you, then they're gone, they're out for the night. And then you just get depleted all the way through the evening to the, to the point where the sergeant is the only person left. But I used to have that fear of dread going into work. 
and I used to go into work on a half night. A half night shift for us was, um, I think it was um, 5 p.m. till 2 a.m. or something like that. And I used to go in the summer and smell all the barbecues, drive past all the other houses, listen to all the people having parties and and think, oh, you know, I'm never going to get this time back. Is that, you know, did you go through a similar thing, Ian? Yeah, it was quite demoralising, actually, because of all the cuts. Um, and all, we were always arguing about some something about pay and all that. And I was thinking to myself, I really liked helping people. And I thought, can I channel that passion somewhere else? Because it basically wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And that's not what I signed up to. When I signed up, I signed up to a pension and I could retire at 50. Yep. And I said, look, you can retire what at 50. What job in, in the whole country, <clears throat> well, you know, unless you're in the public sector, would say, when you sign up, right, here's your salary. Yeah. In 30 years, we can give you this as a pension and you can take a gratuity if you want to or you get a bigger pension at the end. Sign here, please. And then 10, 15 years later to say, hey, you know what? We're not going to give you that. What we're going to do now is ask you to work an extra five years and pay you less. No. It just wouldn't work in any other industry, would it? No. Well, to be fair, they, they implemented the five-year one when I, I hadn't long joined, actually. Um, so then, effectively, I was saying to myself, well, am I going to be fit enough to go into buildings yeah. or on fire at 60 years of age? And obviously, because I never had a family, then that fear of saying, well, I'm not going to earn any income, it's, it's not as bad, I think. But if you've got kids, I can imagine that, you know, you would think, well, hold on a minute, I've got mouths to feed and it's a bit more difficult. But ultimately, yeah. um, it's like everything in life. I operate best out with my comfort zone. So I've really kind of pushed myself over the years. And I would say now I'm probably unemployable, you know, because of what I know education-wise. Do you think because, you know, I mean, talking to, I'm going to do a feature for ex-service personnel coming up soon, hopefully before Christmas, um, because I think that the way ex-service personnel are trained, they're very systemized and everything is a system. You know, you do A, which gets you to B, then C, then D, then E, etc. And I find that that is a really fantastic skill to take into working for yourself, very much like you've done. Um, which, you know, will, will make you more successful in business because of the way that you've trained. Are you a systems type of person, Ian? Well, my wealth dynamic profile is actually a creator. So I'm great at seeing the big picture and I'm not so good at making it all linked together. Right. Uh, You're not so good at doing that. OK, you do surprise me. No, but to be fair, um, obviously, Lindsay had touched on the transferable skills. Um, and obviously, a lot of the systems in the fire service um, I've transferred into my day-to-day stuff, which is which is good. Obviously, discipline is is one thing as well. You know, you need to be disciplined um, in business. And and one of the key things that I done in the early days was I recognised after twelve months that I couldn't do this myself, and I just sought out a business coach. Um, at the time, um, there was property mentorship and stuff like that. But actually, to learn the fundamentals of business. Um, I got a business coach on board. The first guy, only worked with him for a short period of time. But after that, I worked with someone for nearly six years, actually. I worked with him weekly, then fortnightly, and then monthly. So all the kind of business fundamentals that I use now, um, I learned from a business coach, which is, is really good to just the account, have the accountability. Because yeah. once you leave in the fire service, a bit like in the police, you've got someone you can go and ask. But when you're doing it for yourself, and you obviously dad was an accidental landlord and we tried to professionalise the property business. So you, you just need help. So you go and find the person that can help you do it. And you have someone having you to bounce ideas off is really important. So yeah. let's talk about your property then, um, Ian. So um, you've got a really varied portfolio. And Lindsay, you know, she sort of gave us a little bit of an insight into that just now. So tell us what your portfolio um, consists of, because I know that you've got a bit of everything, really. Yeah, well, we started out with buy to let's, Rick. Um, and obviously to leave uh, my brigade salary, I think I earned 1600 That was my take home. Yeah, you know what? I, <laughs> it's, isn't it? You think when you're in that job and you're bringing home, I was bringing home 1800 yeah? Um, so very similar as a supervisor. And you, I thought at the time that was a good salary, but it's really interesting you say that because you think back and you think, actually, wow, how did you survive? You know, it's crazy. 
Well, obviously, I'd, at the time, I said, well, look, I need a dozen buy-to-lets, roughly, more or less, to, to kind of cover my salary. And then buying, refinancing, you know, refurbishing it and refinancing, it was just taking forever. And I thought, I was doing the removals business at this point because I'd given up the fire service. I'd basically covered my salary. And then I thought, well, if I get an HMO, because I've got a bit of buy-to-let experience now, and we started off using buying some HMOs, and obviously the cash flow from them is far higher. And then a bit like the old shiny penny syndrome, SE come onto the market, and because it was high cash flow, we just said, right, let's have a go at this as well. So um, at the minute, I would say we can mainly focus on HMOs and SE because of the best cash flow. Why did you go into buy to lets first, Ian? Because I know you've got a rent to rent portfolio. We'll talk about that in a second. But you know, buy to lets, there are, I mean, great. You know, buy to lets are fundamentally great for long term investment. There is no doubt about that. But for short term cash flow, they're not so good. What attracted you to buy to lets to begin with? In the start, when I started my journey, um, that's all dad had was, was buy to lets as well. So that's kind of what we knew. And it's like dad used to say, look, just invest in property, just invest in property. If you can get your, if you can buy it at the right price and recycle your funds and get your money back out, then that's a great thing to do. So that's how we started off um, doing it. But obviously in Essex, the capital growth here is phenomenal. Yep. over since I've lived here and obviously the property values have went up astronomically um, obviously we're getting some uh, you know you get a bit of that push out from London as well to help which is great And but obviously after a while you start to think well if you want to supercharge your cash flow um, you need to go down a different route and touching on what Lindsay said about the HMOs um, the the actual, we thought there was a kind of gap in the market here. So that when you look on spare room, a lot of the properties were just a typical HMO. Um, and people's... Oh, Ian, you've disappeared. I don't know where you've gone. Are you there? There you go, you're back. Sorry, I don't know what happened then. You dropped out, sorry. Yeah, people say that. HMOs, you know, they say, oh, your rooms are too nice to build an HMO, but but we find that's where the market is now. If you don't modernise and future-proof your property, that's what people want. It's knowing what your target market wants. So we thought, well, Lindsay had a creative flair for the properties, and we thought if we can utilise that and harness that into our business, and basically the colour schemes, you know, the, just to give an example, a current project we're working on now, we said to the builders, paint this wall that colour, uh, paint everything grey, do this, do that. And they were saying, are you sure? Are you sure? And we said, yep. And then obviously when it was painted, they said, oh, that looks amazing. Well, yeah. I'll up the pictures in the group. Actually, once um, once the property's done, much away, about two weeks away. Yeah, please do share it with us. You should never take interior design advice from a builder. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, we've got HMOs. What's an important distinction, I think, Rick, as well, is that um, serviced accommodation can vary your monthly cash flow. Some months in the summer, you can make cracking money. And in the winter, it drops off. Whereas HMO is just nice, solid cash flow. It tends to be the same. You'll know yourself running 100 plus rooms. You know, and you factor in a bit of voids and a bit of maintenance. Yeah, all got the same level, roughly, of money, and the same with the let. So what we've tried to do is, uh, rather than doing everything, we don't buy any bite lets anymore. We've just got them and we've kept them. Obviously, our SA business, um, we've got enough of that as well. Yeah, and we saw a gap, and we thought, well, if we could just keep adding quality HMO rooms to our portfolio. Because the feedback from our tenants um, is, is phenomenal, you know. Let's just talk a little bit about the service accommodation before we move on. So, um, Lindsay, do you operate the, the check-ins and stuff for that as well? Is that your part or do you kind of just do that as a whoever is is available at the time? Yeah, so that, that's really key, actually, the meet and greet. I know a lot of people operate on a sort of key box system. Um, where they just send the, the, the guest the key box code to allow them access into the property. But one thing where we've done particularly well with serviced accommodation is having that face-to-face -face meeting 
um, showing them the setup of the property and asking them if they want to know anything about the local area. Um, I've had different types of guests where maybe families have been travelling for a funeral, a family funeral. Um, so it, it's nice to be able to um, have that kind of conversation and, and just reassure them that if they need anything, someone's there. Um, and we've maybe had short um, guests coming for maybe one or two nights just over a weekend. Um, but that's but that's been the, the feedback that we've had is um, the, the check-in and the the um, the owner of the property um, yeah. has has been really helpful and friendly. And if there's ever been an issue that has cropped up, which was very rare, um, that someone was was on the end of the phone, it's just that kind of personalised service. Well, especially when you get reviews through and knowing someone's on the other side in case anything goes wrong does you know it does count for a lot service accommodations are great i mean we've got service accommodation units it's a great way of making big chunks of money quite quickly um but in terms of longevity you know and probably not something that i would want to just you know put my whole heart and soul into um because of the element of because it's a remote hotel at the end of the day that's what we are operating it's a remote hotel you know you've got a big churn rate you've got to make sure that everything is done at the time um and of course if somebody does let you down then th there's a huge issue you know regarding that so your your hmo portfolio then guys um you've got I know you've got rent to rents as well in that and you've got quite a large rent to rent portfolio is that right in yeah, we've got about um, 10 rent-to-rents now. To be honest, we, we never started out using rent-to-rent. -rent. We, we bought most of the properties that we own. Uh, and we had some rent-to-rent -rent training about five years ago, but we only started adding them um, about, I'd say, two two years ago. I reckon two years ago. Um, basically, How did it happen then? If, if it wasn't something you were targeting specifically, how did they drop on your mat? It was a great question, Rick, and the honest answer is when you're operating serviced accommodation and you need a property fast, um, you know, to go and buy one can take months and obviously try to locate the right property and all the finance, whereas I can lift the phone, speak to an agent and get, get a property. So, if, you know, there's quite a lot of work going on at the minute in Southend Airport and Southend Town as a whole. They're building a new business park. There's 7,000 new jobs. It's a 150 million five-year project. We tap into what the local council are doing. Ian, so, don't, don't, don't big it up too much, otherwise everyone will be over in South End on Sea. Well, I'm just going to add that. It's naturally, <laughs> uh, don't, don't come here because we've got the market sewn up. <laughs> <laughs> no, South End on Sea. We've got to be strategic, you know. So, um. How do you do that then? So you say like, you know, sometimes you need a property quickly, you pick up the phone, you talk to an agent. Now, I know a lot of people that are going to be listening and watching on the podcast because this goes out onto the podcast and onto YouTube. They're going to say, well, what do you say to the agents? Because when I talk to an agent about rent to rent, um, they don't get it. So how do you make that happen? What's the conversation? Normally, well, this is a good question. And this is going back to, you know, in the early days when I was walking in nervous. But, you know, I used to just build relationships with the agents now. And they'll actually call us and offer us property. But obviously getting through the door and saying, I've got some contracts or I've got professional pilots or um, professional IT people coming to the town and I need some houses um, to, to house these people and it'll be kind of long term. That's basically how I opened up the conversation. Obviously, you get the subletting questions and you can't do this and you can't do that. But to be fair, a lot of the agents are just uneducated and you know, what, what that side of it is. And what I normally do, and this is a great tip for anyone considering it, if you've actually got a rent-to-rent -rent or an SA unit or an HMO for that matter, if we take an agent there, they're absolutely blown away. So what I normally do is take them round to one of our properties that Lindsay's dressed and styled, and they come in and they go, this is unbelievable. And we say, well, this is the standard of our properties. And, and right away you've got buy-in because the, the CE is professional. Yeah. So that, that would be my top tip. Yeah. So a lot of times people will say that, you know, they call agents and they don't get it and they say, oh, no, you know, my client wouldn't be interested in doing that. But the sheer fact of it is agents are there to rent properties or sell properties. And if we can go and help them plug that gap, 
and make sure that they get paid, then why wouldn't they do it? And I think it's all about how you present it, Ian and Lindsay, isn't it? I think it's about the words that you use and the biggest thing being persistency. Do you get a lot of no's? Well, in the early days, yeah, we used to get loads. Actually, I read a book which was quite good. It said, um, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yep. Susan Jeffers, I read that in the early days. But again, it's um, it's like everything life, Rick. It's a numbers game. So you just need to just keep, as Rocky Balboa said, you keep taking the knocks. You just keep pushing forward. So all you can do is, if you want to change your life for the better, you just need to go out. I mean, I know you use the Rocky Balboa. Let's talk about the Tyson Fury fight, which is on a Saturday night. I don't know if you saw it. You, yeah. I mean, a guy that gets knocked out, spark out cold, and still gets back up and still fights to the end and still should have won the fight. I mean, that is metal, isn't it? And if you can have a little bit of that in yourself, in everything that you do, and just don't you know, take the knocks, get back up, keep pushing forwards, and just keep driving until you get to where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I think um, what I find is a lot of people I talk to, um, they don't have enough clarity around what it is that they want in life. And I think when you know what you want, and I've done this in the early days myself where I was a bit scattergun and I thought, yeah. I'll take this deal, I'll take that deal, I'll get this, pro this is great, I'm, I'm getting all this property offered, but you're not actually doing anything. Actually, just going round and wasting loads of time. So, if you can say to people, "Look, no, that's not my strategy. That doesn't fit with what I'm doing." So, we find that since we're focused in HMOs now, yeah, and I think that's a good. You know, I think focusing on one thing um, yeah. is very important. Now, I know, and I, I know where you're coming from because when I began investing, you know, we've been doing this quite a long time, but we were happy to do anything. You know, like yourself, we would do flips, we would do service accommodation. We had six pubs at one point. Um, you know, we've got 15 garages just like randomly in the middle of the city centre, and and then until we started to focus and literally drive down onto one strategy, that was only then when we started to make some real money because everything else was just noise. And if you focus on one thing, get good at it, do it to the best of your ability, and then don't do anything else until you get to where you want to be with that strategy, then, you know, you, that is a great recipe for success. What, what do you think? I would say exactly. One of the great things my business coach said, you imagine these are two businesses that you've got. And what he said is, does this stop you? Either of these stop you from doing the thing that you want to do. And if it, it does, get rid of it and just free up that other hand to be able to go and do it. So yeah. but quite a lot of people that we meet say, how many properties have you got? What's your cash flow? To me, all these things don't matter because if you focus on what you want in life and you can go out there and get it, I know someone that turns over seven million a year in a business and he loses money. Yeah. And I know someone that turns over five hundred grand and he makes one hundred and eighty k. So who's got the better business? So cash flow is king. Yeah, that is that is great advice. You know, when people say how many properties have you got, I say, well, what would you like me to say? What would be more impressive to you? Whether I say I've got a, a hundred properties. Or 50 properties. What you know, why are you asking that question? Because it's not about that. You know what, right? I had when we started in the pub game, I had one pub, and that pub was doing great. It was making me about two grand a week in profit a week, and that was awesome. And then I thought, you know what? If I did this on another pub, I could double that. So we went and we bought a second pub and we started to make more money. Then the third, a fourth, a fifth, and the sixth. Then we had 75 staff. Then all of a sudden, my outgoings were phenomenal. They were just astronomical. And I was making less money with six pubs than I was when I had one. And that was a really good lesson to me. Um, so we sold them and we, and we still got one. We still own one pub now. And, you know, for us, that was a really good lesson in life because, it's as you said, Ian, it's not about how many. It's about how well you run that business and how profitable that business is. So when people say that, come on, guys, think again. You know, it doesn't matter whether you've got 50 tenants or whether you've got 550 tenants it's about the bottom line and about the cash flow at the end of the day so ian what's um i know that you know 2019 ian and lindsay you've both got some really big plans coming up and 
you want to take your HMO portfolio to the next level, don't you? So back over to Lindsay. What does the next level mean? How many rooms? I just said, does it matter how many rooms? But I know that yourself as a business, you need to have a target in mind. So what's that target for you? We want to add another 25 rooms to the portfolio. Um, and we want to create sort of communal living spaces for people. So maybe creating some cinema rooms. Right. Uh, we're going to be renovating um, our biggest HMO yet. It's potentially going to be an eight bed. So we're really, really excited about that. Um, so, yeah. Purchase, Lindsay, or is it a rent to rent? Purchase. Okay, and so that leads me on to how do you, I mean, don't, you don't have to give all of your top secrets away. I wouldn't expect you to, but um, how do you source your properties? Are they just from Rightmove or have you got a campaign? What works for you? A bit of both, Rick, to be honest. We've got some Rightmove alerts set up. So we've got a sort of area and target area, a gold mine area, as we call it, and that's our investing area. So if a property um, becomes available um, for rent or for sale in that area, we get obviously um, a right move notification and we'll, we'll go and book a viewing to see it. Um, we're quite, we've built up um, relationships with some of the local agents in the town um, and that takes time. Um, and and if, if they obviously know um, what our, our strategy is and if properties become available with them, as Ian said, they, they will give us a call. Yeah, it's so important building those relationships up. You know, we bang the drum a lot about that. And you can't expect just to have one one phone call, one conversation with an agent, and then for them to start bringing you deals. It's a long process, isn't it? So, you know, what, you guys are really lucky in a sense that you've got the family unit to bounce ideas off and stuff. Um, so when people start in property on their own and they don't have that, what, what advice could you give them? You know, where can they get that input from? Um, you know, if they're not involved in that directly. Some people's families don't get it at all, actually. Some people's families will be, what are you doing? You know, you're taking a huge risk investing in property. Where can they get that outside input from? What do you plug, right? I would say your community group is brilliant. That would be a great starting point. You know, join a community of like-minded people. Obviously, your book is excellent as well, House Arrest. I wasn't. I wasn't leading in on to um, uh, so, I'm just saying, if you if you've got not got any knowledge, um, actually, your book. When I came to your day, I gave that to someone interested in getting into HMOs, and I said, "Look, this is a great starting point." I think for me personally, um, my top advice would be would be to get a mentor, so someone that's done it before, so either a business coach or a mentor, or join some sort of accountability group where you're getting held accountable on a, on a clear set of goals. I like working one-to-one -one with people. So if someone, um, you know, when I was working with my business coach, it was just him and I, and he would just set me goals every week. And, and the reason I've, we've got to where we have is because we've been held accountable. That is so key. I think most people could be successful in life, but life gets in the way. And obviously a, a mentor or a coach I'll cut all that out and say, right, this is what you need to do. Where are you? Keep doing it. Work on the business and, and not in the business. Yeah, working wise. Yeah, it's really good advice. So next year is going to be big things for you two then. Um, you know, really looking forward to following your journey. Lindsay, have you got any regrets leaving the corporate world? Not in the slightest. Yes. Your life now is so much, so much more um, in keeping for what you want, and I think it's important again that you know we can drive that, can't we? Because we're in control. You can do whatever you want to do. You've got to have an element of sensibility with it. But your life now is so much different. Um, you know, um, Ian, I'm going to ask you the same question. You know, going back, your life in the fire service, any regrets? No, absolutely not. I did miss it in the early days, as I said to you, because I felt a part of something. But I kind of built that again in, in your own business. And obviously, um, you know, you've got to just go out there. And if you like doing what you do, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, we get challenges. Yeah, we get bad days. Um, but as a general rule, it is positive. And, and the big takeaway is as well that you should always have some fun, you know, because business is looks too serious. And you think, let's go out and have a good time and celebrate like a small win. I, I think we're quite hard on ourselves. Yeah. I will both agree. Isn't it hard though to celebrate those wins sometimes? 
you know, you think, well, you know, you, you become used to it, don't you? You become used to the workload. You become used to spinning all of those plates. And then when you get a win over, it's like, yeah, great. You know, move on to the next one. Let's get the next kill. Um, you know, sometimes I think we don't celebrate as much as we should do. Do you guys have a strict working day? So do you start at a certain time and finish at a certain time? Or do you just do what needs to be done? Well, we normally, um, we meet up every week. Um, on a Wednesday morning for an hour and we call that the heartbeat of the business so we just meet and say where are we who's doing what dad potentially he goes out and views properties and gets the deals um, obviously I was raising most of the private investor finance um, but Lindsay's starting to catch me up now. <laughs> <laughs> she's raising finance as well so basically we'll just sit and have a meeting and say right we've got this project on uh, Lindsay's she's been working with our project manager so to keep it, your, your roles separate there's no point in dad going to site me going to site and then Lindsay going to site so Lindsay will go to site and then she'll update us and if we need to go we'll go but just to keep that clearly defined person so I think when you start out as a as a family or in any business it's having clearly defined roles and sticking to them so dad gets the property I was finding the money, Lindsay was finding the guests or the tenants, but now Lindsay's raising the money, so I'll be redundant, Rick. I don't, I don't know you'll ever be redundant. <laughs> I think you're too, uh, you're too entrepreneurial, both of you. Folks, it's 10 to 10. I want to say thank you both for, for joining us today. I mean, the time just flies when we do these interviews, and I love getting into the nitty-gritty of what drives people and um, you know, going from the corporate world into property. And I think, you know, you've made that step. You've got no regrets. You've got great things planned for 2019 next year. Um, I'm going to be following your journey with great interest. If people want to contact you, they can tag you in on the post below or they can private message you if they've got any questions about today on any of the strategies that you use. So, folks, thank you so much indeed for uh, spending uh, the morning with me on Cup of Tea with Rick G. No problem. Thank, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Have a great day. GoTenant, the revolutionary new property software built by landlords and trusted by tenants. GoTenant is your one-stop property management assistant that will take the pain away from your tenant recruitment process and the management of your properties. From advertising your property to maintenance reporting, electronic signatures to full property management software. Stop worrying about double bookings and the hassle of unnecessary admin because GoTenant is here to enable you to seamlessly run your portfolio from anywhere in the world. Go to gotenants.co.uk to find out more.